Dancing with a Black Elephant? Who's Dancing with a Black Elephant? What is Dancing with a Black Elephant? Who's Dancing with a Black Elephant? Dancing with the Black Elephant? From Yeshiva University, this is Andrew Boyarski, and you are listening to Dancing with the Black Elephant. So I'm here with Stephen A. Gutkin, who currently serves as Vice President of Crisis Management and Business Continuity for NBC Universal. In that role, he manages a team responsible for assisting the company's business units across the globe on preparedness, increasing resilience, and on crisis and emergency response. Stephen previously served as Deputy Director for the New Jersey Office of Homeland Security and Preparedness, NJOHSMP, from 2012 to 2017. He was responsible for managing the organization, which is the state's lead for counterterrorism, cybersecurity, critical infrastructure protection, and emergency preparedness. Before his appointment to New Jersey OHSMP, Stephen served as executive director of the Regional Catastrophic Planning Team of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. And he was responsible for managing a vast regional planning staff and developing numerous regional disaster plans. Stephen previously retired at the rank of Deputy Chief of Police after more than 20 years of service with the Fairfield, New Jersey Police Department. During his tenure there, he rose up through the ranks managing every division of the agency. Stephen is a certified business continuity professional, an active member of the FBI National Academy Associates, American Society of Industrial Security, Disaster Recovery Institute International, and the International Association of Chiefs of Police. He is a graduate of the FBI National Academy and the Thomas Edison State College. Steve, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today, and I'd like to get right down into the interview at this point. You played a key role during the response to Hurricane Sandy in New Jersey. Tell me what happened when you first heard that Hurricane Sandy was about 96 hours out. Sure. So the team at New Jersey House of Homeland Security and Preparedness were obviously looking at these storms as we do throughout hurricane season well in advance. So we were following the track, following the likelihood that it was going to trend toward the East Coast. Uh, so it was not a surprise, fortunately. Uh, when we realized that it was starting to take more of a turn likely towards the New York City metropolitan area, uh, again, we were watching online and through regular consultation with the National Hurricane Center. What did the New Jersey Office of Homeland Security and Preparedness do to gear up for the response? So uh, the New Jersey Office of Homeland Security and Preparedness works very closely with the New Jersey Office of Emergency Management, which is managed by the New Jersey State Police. Uh, so we were in constant discussion with them as to what might be needed. Our role at the Office of Homeland Security was to focus more so on critical infrastructure. So what were the likely impacts going to be on electrical systems, on the nuclear power plants, on uh, the petroleum refineries throughout the state of New Jersey? So we began to focus our energy a lot in that area, uh, working with the owners and operators of critical infrastructure. And then separately, we began discussions to think about what we might need to do as a state in the way of supporting the counties and the municipalities in the realm of sheltering for victims that might be displaced from their homes. Can you tell us what standing up the Emergency Operations Center looked like in advance of Hurricane Sandy and any coordination at the federal and county levels? Sure. So at that point, 96 hours and then coming down more towards 48 hours out, 
the EOC is beginning to stand up in a limited fashion. Uh, New Jersey's EOC follows a similar format as most other EOCs using emergency support functions. So all these emergency support function lead agencies were now starting to populate and, and staff the Emergency Operations Center, uh, in addition to uh, the Department of Transportation, New Jersey Transit, which is run by the state, four major power utilities were beginning to start to staff the EOC as well, uh, as well as some of the, the petroleum folks. FEMA and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, the Protective Security Advisor Program, they began to pile into the EOC, I would say, about 48 hours out to begin to help us to make sense of what the likelihood of impacts were going to be on critical infrastructure. And then separately, we had a team working, as I indicated before, looking at disaster sheltering needs and what the potential for that. Uh, So we were having calls probably about 48 hours plus out uh, several times a day trying to understand from the counties what their likely impact might look like, where they were seeing spikes starting to begin in advance of the evacuation order that had come out, and trying to pre-plan for all those things that we might have to do in advance. The common impression from the media portrayed people at the beaches not heeding the warning to evacuate. There's a famous news clip of the governor of New Jersey at the time, uh, in typical New Jersey fashion, chiding people to get off the beach and get out of harm's way. Did people heed the call to evacuate? There were a lot of people hanging back. So uh, as you indicated before, during Hurricane Irene the previous year, uh, there was a push to get people to evacuate. And because the storm may not have been as impactful as it was projected to be at that time, I think there was some complacency on the part of some folks that thought, oh, well, I lived through Irene, I'll live through this one as well. Uh, not realizing that once you've seen one hurricane, you've seen one hurricane because they're all different and the impacts can be drastically different as we saw within Sandy. As preparations escalated in the 48 hours prior to landfall, can you describe the work going on in the EOC and your situational awareness of the coastal areas that were directly in line for impact by the storm? Sure. So we had begun, obviously, evacuation orders were in place. Uh, State police had strategically placed folks, especially along the barrier islands and from Atlantic City all the way up to Sandy Hook throughout the state, realizing that the impact would be most significant in those areas. Uh, So that was what was happening on the ground. Uh, Simultaneously, we were working with the ESF-6 lead for mass care and feeding, uh, working to help the counties make sure that they were bolstering their resources necessary for sheltering needs. Uh, We were having twice-daily conference calls with every county to understand what they were seeing. Uh, Separately within the EOC, we were working, uh, we had created a a food distribution plan uh, right before Hurricane Irene. Irene. So we had representatives from the food banks and key businesses within the state of New Jersey that were involved in the distribution of food to supermarkets, etc. They were sitting within the EOC so that we were talking to them directly on a regular basis. Uh, Similarly, we had folks from the Retail Fuel Merchants Association in the EOC. We gave them a seat sitting with our private sector coordination desk, which focused on critical infrastructure so that we could understand from them where they were seeing challenges with retail fuel stations and what resources might be necessary from the county and or the state level to help those businesses stay running for as long as possible while evacuation was occurring. Prior to joining New Jersey OHSP, you were the executive director of the Regional Catastrophic Planning Team of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. The common impression by people who are not familiar with emergency management is that these plans can be executed at the snap of a finger. 
where we can conjure up X number of shelters, or we can set up a logistics hub to manage resources or what have you. And the truth of the matter is that these large-scale responses require years of preparation through planning, training, drills, and exercises. Can you speak to this work? Can you speak to the preparations and how that helped the state of New Jersey and your capabilities to respond effectively? Sure. So you're spot on with that. Those things do not happen very quickly. It takes a lot of coordination, a lot of planning. Uh, So the state of New Jersey had been doing that for several years, even before Irene, uh, to kind of tackle what might be needed in a large-scale crisis. So we had been working with all of the counties and the municipalities trying to understand what their capabilities were from a sheltering and a feeding perspective. We've been working regularly since after 9-11. The state of New Jersey stood up something called the um, Infrastructure Advisory Committee, which is a group of senior leaders from all 16 of the DHS critical infrastructure sectors, uh, meeting on a monthly basis, talking about challenges from terrorist attacks to natural events, and how the private sector can work in more coordination with the public sector to make sure we're meeting the challenges that we're facing, whether it be a terrorist attack or a hurricane or a flood. Uh, But most importantly, like how do we get business back to business as quickly as possible and not have government interfere in that process, if you will, but be a conduit to make sure that those things are happening more seamlessly. So things like that, things like food preparation planning, Uh, Things like shelter planning, as I mentioned before, things about coordinating with private sector entities as to how they would time shutting down their critical facilities in advance of a storm where you do have that, you know, early notice. Uh, Those planning efforts had been going on for years before that. And without that having happened for all those years, that would have made the response to Sandy much more difficult. You mentioned before that you coordinated the support to help restore the critical infrastructure. Can you explain what that coordination looked like? So when I say critical infrastructure group, and I referenced the Infrastructure Advisory Committee earlier, it wasn't just limited to the power utilities and the petroleum providers. It included all the subsectors as well. So whether it was a financial company, banks, uh, hospitals, you name it, all those folks participate on that group. And what we did was we ran conference calls every day, sometimes twice daily, to give them the latest situational information that we had, whether it was the weather impacts or what we were seeing post-storm as it related to flooding and storm surge. And then we allowed each one of those businesses, if they wanted to, report out on any challenges that they were having if they needed assistance from the state. And really what it did was a sounding board for many of the businesses. Uh, There were sometimes up to 300 people on those calls from all different businesses, all different private sector uh, owner-operator businesses, that were hearing some of the challenges that some businesses may have been having as it related to getting a generator, as it related to getting water restored, as it related to getting access to their facility. And then other businesses were thanking us afterwards saying, oh my God, I didn't realize that these people were having those problems. And I ended up having that problem 12 hours later, and I understood how this company approached it, and that helped me to formulate a response to be able to deal with it within my company. So it was a good information sharing, not just the government kind of telling folks what we're seeing, but business to business, helping businesses get back to business. I would like to address the concept of the whole of the community and public-private partnership 
in particular. Oftentimes the expectation is that government will come running like the cavalry and they'll come in and take care of everything, they'll restore my home, return my life to what it was like before the disaster took place. And the reality is that that's just not the case. Can you speak to the role required by the private sector and the role that the government is there to play? Sure. So you're you're correct. It's it's a misnomer for folks to think that the government is going to come in and, and fix everything that quickly. It takes years, as we have seen in the case of Irene, in the case of Sandy, in the case of many other events that have happened in this country, for the appropriate resources to be available to the private citizen or the business owner and operator that may not have the wherewithal or, or the funding available to, to tackle whatever it is that they're dealing with. Uh, so it takes quite a bit of time for those things to happen. The government has always relied on the private sector to be able to take care of themselves. So the government will be there to help them with certain specific waivers that they might need to be able to get resources in to manage whatever the disaster is that they're dealing with. But by and large, we're hoping that they will be able to manage their own disaster and get themselves back to business with as little as possible input from the government. However, some of those inputs, as I indicated, like making sure that roads are open, making sure that critical personnel have access to facilities when possible, that's something that the government does take a big role in. When there are large-scale scenarios where there are resources that are beyond the capability of the local business, which then potentially overwhelm the capabilities of the local emergency management agencies or the county emergency management agencies in New Jersey's case, then the state may try to help uh, step in and provide some of those resources, provided that they're available and that the businesses are able to pay for those resources, but the government can be a conduit to get some of those additional resources. Are there any moments that stand out for you during landfall and the period that immediately followed Sandy? I think uh, we were initially surprised pre-landfall that the National Hurricane Center had sort of uh, reclassified the storm, and it technically wasn't even a hurricane when it made landfall. Uh, so sort of an aha moment for me, which really didn't have anything to do with the response per se, was just that you don't rely on a category one, two, three, four, five storm and then judge what you think the impacts could be from that storm because there's so many other factors that come into play uh, that obviously made Sandy a quote superstorm unquote, even though it technically was not even a hurricane. Yet we saw uh, storm surge impacts that exceeded a category two hurricane. So that was kind of an aha moment for me. Uh, it didn't change anything because we were prepared to deal with whatever came our way. But you just have to l rely less upon, you know, this is going to be this and the impacts are going to be this. And you just don't know. You know, interestingly enough, we had done quite a bit of training and exercise on this type of a scenario. And we developed a notional scenario back in 2008 that was a combination of an old storm called the Long Island Express. And we ended up taking that storm and shifting it about 75 miles west to notionally practice what it might look like and how it might impact New Jersey from a flooding, storm surge, power outage perspective. And what we saw from Sandy, which was, again, technically not even a hurricane, were the same level of impacts that we would have seen had the Long Island Express been 75 miles to the west. So it was a Category 3 hurricane, and we saw impacts from a post-subtropical storm that were mimicking a Category 3 hurricane. In the days and weeks that followed Sandy, how did the response go? Were there any areas of improvement? 
Sure. So in any event that happens, in any event that I've been in throughout my career, there's always areas for improvement. Uh, communication sometimes is not as stellar as one would like it to be. Uh, we didn't have too many hiccups. Uh, we had to work on the fly as it related to getting some of our resources out to shelters. Uh, but again, those were just kind of minor things that we had to work through. Uh, we shifted very quickly in my organization from the response to thinking about recovery, probably within 24 hours after the storm had hit, because we realized that the impact to the housing market, for example, was going to be tremendous. And it was something that had not necessarily been as well contemplated in the state of New Jersey as it had been in many other Gulf Coast communities who were more used to being a hurricane state, if you will. New Jersey was really never thought of as being a hurricane state until 2011 and 2012, back to back. Uh, so we really shifted very quickly, and we, with the work that we did at the regional catastrophic planning team that you met, you mentioned earlier, we helped. We began to help other state agencies begin to think about the impacts that they were going to be dealing with for many years to come, and probably are still dealing with at that point. Uh, so it was in addition to getting infrastructure back up and running. How do we get the appropriate resources in for folks that were going to need individual assistance separate from public assistance to get their homes back in order? So there was a lot of work that we did that we probably didn't necessarily anticipate doing in response to a storm for an agency that's responsible for critical infrastructure, if you will, as one of its key component areas. So we were able to shift on the fly and take advantage of a lot of the great work that's been done here in the New York City metropolitan area to be able to help the region as a whole begin to recover from such a tremendous storm. Based on what you saw during the response and recovery phases, what measures were taken or recommended to increase the level of resilience along the coastal areas that were impacted the hardest? Sure. So I think one of the key things that you indicated before is just how the lack of depth in resources, especially at the municipal level and somewhat at certain counties at the county level as well. Uh, so we undertook an effort after Sandy, after things had calmed down, probably within about six months, where we started to engage the most heavily impacted communities and began to have discussions with the leaders of emergency management and police and fire and the, the mayor and the, the city councils to help them think through the things that they experienced and what we as the state could do to help them maybe get better at being able to manage a scenario like that. So a lot of it falls into training and awareness and learning how to use uh, the county more effectively, learning how to think about having local shelters because a lot of towns and municipalities and even some of the larger ones really hadn't contemplated that as being an issue for them. They figured, oh, that's the county's problem. And because the situation was so large, many of the counties became you know, somewhat overwhelmed, not thinking that they were going to have to shelter a thousand people. So we really tried to go back to the basics with them, planning, training, exercise, and getting them to think about that more seriously. Not that they weren't taking it seriously, but they really never experienced an event of that magnitude that would have forced them to really think about those things. So I think that was a lot of what happened immediately after the storm. Well, Steve, I want to thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today and sharing your experiences and lessons learned from Hurricane Sandy. We spoke today with Stephen Gutkin, Vice President of Crisis Management and Business Continuity for NBC Universal and former Deputy Director for the New Jersey Office of Homeland Security and Preparedness. Find out more about our programs, including our MS and Enterprise Risk Management, at our website, www.yu.edu forward slash KATZ or CATS. 
We would like to hear your feedback on our podcasts, so please send us any questions or comments to us at catspodcast, K-A-T-Z-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at yu.edu. Thanks for listening.